Hey everybody, welcome to another amazing episode of the Ball and Chain Podcast. Uh, this is episode number lucky 13, which is perfect uh, as a sports betting and cryptocurrency podcast. Uh, I have to get through 13 at some point, so uh, better uh, now than later on. And uh, so I'm coming to you from smoky, unfortunately smoky San Francisco. Uh, we're still dealing with some of the fires going on around the Bay Area from the lightning strikes a couple weeks ago. Really tragic. Um, but things uh, start, are starting to seem like they're getting under control, which is great, uh, but still dealing with some lingering um, aftermath uh, with regards to the air quality. Uh, they say that we're probably going to have another, I don't know, three, four, five days of it here, and then it should get better. Uh, so uh, moving on to sports, though. So uh, we resumed our podcast last week uh, with David Purdom uh, from ESPN. We had taken a couple of months off there uh, over the summer, and we're back now, hopefully doing one podcast per week. That's always our goal here. Uh, so we had David uh, from ESPN on the pod last week, which was awesome. Uh, went really well. It was really interesting to hear his input and thoughts on uh, the sports betting landscape here in the United States. Um, and, uh, in the last week or so, uh, what else has, uh, been developing since we were last on? So, uh, we added tennis, uh, actually for betting to the Zen sports app, which is very timely because the U S open begins today. Uh, so it's great to finally have our first tennis major back, uh, after I believe the Australian was probably the last one that we had. So, uh, after what, eight and a half months, good to have, good to have tennis majors back, uh, for sure. So uh, glad to have that back. The NBA playoffs are rocking and rolling. I, I just have to keep saying that the the quality of play in the bubble has been outstanding. Uh, I don't like the fact that they aren't pumping in crowd noise. I've brought this up before. I think they should allow the home team, a designated member of the home team, to uh, ramp up crowd noise as appropriate. But other than that, just purely from a quality of play perspective, it's been uh, it's been great and. You know, with the uh, uh, Black Lives Matter movements um, last week, you know, with the uh, with my beloved Milwaukee Bucks actually leading the way on the protest side of things, really, really supported those efforts. Uh, but I also supported them getting back to play because I do think the the platform is stronger if they're actually playing. Uh, I mean, uh, let's not ignore the elephant in the room as well that there is a lot of uh, money at stake. And I, I think that they did the most important thing, which is actually get the attention of the owners uh, to start helping implement change um, and, you know, getting things like voting, uh, more voting locations set up, uh, you know, more awareness there. And I think, you know, having the messaging around BLM, um, you know, be prevalent around the playoffs is, is super helpful. Um, with regards to the actual play itself, uh, so Bucks moved on, uh, took care of Magic. Uh, like I knew they would. Uh, Lakers moved on. Uh, Celtics moved on. Raptors moved on. In fact, the Celtics and Raptors are actually in their next series already. Uh, Bucks or Bucks begin their series with the Heat uh, this afternoon, and uh, Nuggets and Jazz. Uh, that's turned out to be a great series. That's going seven games. Clippers have moved on, and yeah, so we've got uh, we've got uh, the Lakers going to be playing. Oh, sorry the forgot about the Thunder and Rockets, so that that's still going on. So the Lakers will be playing the winner of the Thunder Rocket series, and uh, the Clippers will be playing the winner of the 
uh, Nuggets Jazz series. So those those opponents are still to be determined. But all the East opponents have been set. Uh, haven't caught too much of the NHL playoffs, but uh, looks like by all accounts that those have been pretty exciting as well. One little tidbit to note there too. Same thing with the crowd noise is for some reason they're like you know pumping in positive crowd noise when the visiting team scores a goal, which I I don't get that either. I mean, if we're if we're supposed to be having a home court or home ice uh, type of situation here, they should be biasing it towards that and making that as real as possible. So, look, they've done a great job with both of those bubbles, NHL and NBA. So let's we won't get too hard on them. But um, you know, if they if they do have to maybe have one takeaway from this, it would be great for them to make it a little bit more uh, real for the for the home team uh, with regards to that. Uh, MLB is chugging along. Uh, they're basically about halfway now through their 60-game season. On the college football side, uh, the pressure is mounting for the Big Ten. Uh, I, why they <laughs> why they jumped the gun to cancel their season, uh, you know, without really kind of maybe having all the evidence in place as to what they could or couldn't do. Um, and now they're basically them and the, the Pac-12, uh, Pac-12 are really the only two that are not scheduled to play. And I think the Big Ten is actually going to, um, uh, you know, bow to pressure here and actually play since all the other conferences are. Um, so, yeah, those are all your updates uh, in the past uh, week or so since we last did the pod. And so without further ado, um, I'd like to welcome uh, this week's guest, uh, which is uh, who is Ben Fox from uh, VEASAN. He is the vice president of digital content over at VEASAN. And so I would love to welcome Ben uh, to the Ball and Chain podcast today. How are you doing, Ben? Doing well, Mark. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And so uh, are you based in uh, Nevada or are you on the East Coast? Uh, I will soon be based in Nevada. I'm currently on the East Coast, uh, about to embark on a nice little road trip across the country for the next uh, week or so. Really? So yeah. uh, you're, yeah. you're going to Nevada? Yes, going to Vegas. Are you going to, is that a permanent move or is it just going to be for a little while or what does that look like? Yep. Yep. Moving out there to, uh, see what it's like. I've, I've been out there probably, man, somewhere between 15 and 20 times. I feel like over the, over the years, uh, I went to school out in California, so was close by there as well. And, um, know a lot of people out there, but I think it's always nice to kind of see what it's all about, even though gambling's been legalized in many other states now. I think Vegas is still kind of, you know, the hub in many respects. And so it'll be good to, you know, go through a football season there. I've never actually been out there for a football season and kind of see what it's all about. Nice. So have you ever driven cross country before? I have not. No. Okay. I have never either. I actually can't stand long car rides. About the longest I can be in a car is maybe about three hours. Uh, uh, I am, I fly, I just can't, uh, I can't deal with long car rides, but you know, if you're moving out there and you've got stuff that you want to bring along and, uh, so forth, I could, that, that makes a lot of sense as to why you, uh, you know, probably, uh, make the cross country trip. Are you looking forward to that? Is this, is this something you're doing on necessity or you're actually like kind of excited about making a, a cross country drive? I think it's both. Uh, there, there was certainly a lot of options weighed and I'd say it was, quite the puzzle putting together, uh, kind of, you know, which, what was staying, what was going, did it make more sense to fly? When did it make more sense to fly or drive? Um, I also am going to get another car. Uh, so I'm driving my girlfriend's car out there right now. So there's, there was a whole lot of 
of decisions that uh, went into it. But I think with the cost of shipping a car, it made more sense to just drive across. And I felt like when else are you going to have the opportunity really to kind of voluntarily do that? Obviously, in COVID-19 times, uh, it can be, you know, safer in a car, uh, picking the hotels, all that stuff. So it kind of all came together and made sense to do that. And yeah, look, you know, I've told people I'm looking forward to it. We'll see on day three if I'm still uh, looking forward to it as much. But uh, you're in no, Kansas it, and you're like, oh, uh, let's book a flight from Wichita to exactly. Vegas for the rest of the exactly. But no, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I've kind of sketched, you know, sketched out the cities. And normally, obviously, you'd kind of get out and stay for a day or day plus and see the museum and see this and see the sites and There'll be certainly a lot less of that now, but I think it'll be it'll be nice to toss on some podcasts and you know yeah. see. Uh, I guess you know the good and bad news is once you're you know a quarter of the way there, there's no turning back. So you gotta. <laughs> well, you can do going. what I said though. You could stop in the nearest town and grab a flight from there. You know that's true. From that, that true. point on. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, you can uh, you can replay this podcast over a few times. You could probably listen to it about uh, forty times. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but anyways, uh, so I totally agree with you. Like, I, I mean, even though, yes, so sports betting is legal now in, you know, 18 plus states uh, and in D.C., uh, you know, Nevada is still Nevada is still the Mecca uh, and obviously Vegas in, in particular. Uh, so I think it was about five point three billion wagered in Nevada on sports betting last year, of which about half of, of, of which was on mobile. Um, and obviously that number is just going to continue to grow. Uh, quick little plug here. We announced uh, for Zen Sports a partnership a few weeks ago uh, to be able to expand into Nevada ourselves. So we are actually in the process of going through the uh, uh, Nevada uh, Gaming Control Board licensing uh, process, as well as uh, the tech certification um, for our software there. So, uh, so yeah, we're hopeful that we're there in uh, six to nine months. Uh, but uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a great place to be. Nevada's, you know, ground zero for you know, all things, uh, both sports betting and gaming wise. And so uh, excited for you. Uh, sounds like a, it'll be an awesome adventure. Thanks. Yeah. Congratulations to you guys as well. And uh, no state income tax also didn't hurt. So that helped. <laughs> helped the decision. Oh, yeah. And, and you're neighboring <laughs> to a state that has about some of the highest taxes in the nation. Yes. So but we feel uh, the pain over here in California from from that regard. Uh, cool. So would love for the audience that doesn't know much about you or VSIN, uh, for you to give a background, uh, both of yourself, you know, where you got started, your days at ESPN and translated, uh, and how that translated over to VSIN. And then, and then would love to know more about both ESPN Chalk, uh, which you were part of as well as now VSIN, uh, as well. Sure. Yeah. I, uh, kind of was always a sports fan growing up. So grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and was always the kid getting the New York Times, you know, quickly checking the front page to see what the news was and then tossing that to see, go to the sports section and read that uh, from front to back. So I was always kind of into sports, um, grew up playing sports and always around it. And I think uh, at some point, as natural with probably any uh, anyone in New York City uh, or, or Brooklyn, gambling seeps in somehow. <laughs> and so... Um, I think I was always kind of around it and it was always an interesting uh, angle to me, especially with uh, with the NFL in particular. Um, that was kind of how I got started in the gambling world was um, just being around an NFL uh, pick and pool, basically, uh, through a youth uh, soccer team and just looking at that and kind of seeing 
you know, the spreads and what it meant and kind of a different uh, prism throughout the game. Um, so that was kind of the early the early exposure to gambling. And in terms of that kind of translating into the sports world, I had a internship at ESPN, the magazine, uh, my junior year of college, and uh, that was in New York City um, and really enjoyed it, really kind of didn't know exactly what I wanted to do except work in sports, uh, which is great for a job interview. When you go in and they say, why do you want this job? And you say, well, I'd like to work in sports. And you know, I'll never forget the, the editor who was there said, well, just about everyone else has come in and said that same thing. So kind of what <laughs> You're does it do? Exactly, exactly. Um, so was lucky enough to be able to convince her to uh, give me a shot in internship. And I basically learned the content management system that ESPN uses to put their articles online. So kind of helped out with that, which was what ESPN the magazine was using um, kind of in previous iterations before digital and uh, before ESPN.com and the magazine kind of came together and worked more closely together. So I was working on that, uh, graduated from college in 2009, which was the height of the recession, a great time to find a job and go out of school. So I came back uh, from California and to New York, uh, kind of lived at home, worked at a couple startups and eventually was able to do some kind of night and weekend work, um, essentially doing the jobs nobody else wanted to do uh, in terms of putting certain ESPN articles uh, through the system and online, uh, working certain certain shifts. Um, they actually, back in those days, had a, a main headline stack, which was ESPN Insider, now ESPN Plus, uh, had to be physically basically kept on um, by somebody every single day or else it would turn into a free story at 6 p.m., another headline. So that was part of my job initially and kind of worked my way up uh, from <laughs> from there to doing, doing a little more, editing some more NFL content um, and then helping out with that and moved up to Bristol in 2011 uh, with the magazine and kind of came on officially uh, around then and was working on some of the gambling content uh, under Chad Millman, who now is in charge of uh, the Action Network, or I guess they're just being called Action these days. And so I was working with him, editing his blog, editing some of his podcasts, and kind of just had more exposure to the industry, went out to Vegas a couple times and you know got to meet some people and kind of piqued my interest more as well in the industry and worked worked on that worked on the nfl nfl draft and in 2014 uh we started espn chalk which was the gambling section for espn.com and so kind of was worked. that hard to get that was it hard to get them to agree to have a gambling section as part of their content yes yes quite <laughs> quite difficult um you know I, I think that the current caesar's studio uh should probably be called the house that chad millman built um, because he was he was responsible for the initial kind of broaching into gambling content and I would say making it not as um, kind of a dirty word, just in right. that people were comfortable with it in its own place. And generally that place was, we were doing gambling content, but you know if you had an NFL betting column, it would go on the NFL page probably far down, um, buried a little somewhere and there was no vertical so there was no home page for it just to live on so 
we were restricted a little more in terms of content, just in, you know, making sure things could go on different sport pages, but also, like you said, just initially starting and having a plan and, and all of that was a big lift to get off the ground. And obviously it's come a long way from, from there to where it is now. Cool. And so then you were at ESPN, uh, you know, uh, responsible for ESPN chalk. And so uh, you just recently joined VSIN this summer, right? Yeah, so uh, a little over a month ago. Okay, and so uh, for those of you that, or for those of uh, our audience that are not aware of what Veasan is, um, give us a scoop on that, and then what your responsibilities are as VP of Digital Content. Yeah, so I, I have similar responsibilities. Um, so Veasan is the Vegas Stats and Information Network, and it is basically a company that was founded by Brent Musburger uh, after he'd left ESPN. They started in the right before the Super Bowl in 2017, uh, broadcasting and basically just looking at sports through a sports betting lens. Um, so it's really the first sports betting network, uh, which is basically going at sports betting more from a TV and media perspective than other companies uh, are, and obviously has a lot more bandwidth. You know, whereas ESPN has an hour of sports betting content. On a daily basis, Vizen, uh before the pandemic, had 17 hours, and we'll be ramping back up uh, towards that as we get more sports now, uh, starting next week. So it's just kind of, it's on SiriusXM Radio as well. It's just kind of a different way of looking at sports, and I think trying to be, you know, all-inclusive of gamblers as well as sports fans. So there's a lot of different programming, depending on the level uh, of sports better you are, the level of sports better you want to be. Uh, and so my job as VP of digital content is to both kind of align the shows as best we can in terms of the news that's coming out on a daily basis, as well as kind of look ahead at some, you know, key topics to be hitting and whether that's legalization or, uh, you know, on this date a couple of days ago was the Mayweather McGregor anniversary, um, all just all kinds of different things, just making sure everyone's aware of those things, because typically on a day-to-day basis in TV, you're so focused on, you know, today's show and tomorrow's show that it's tough to look, you know, a week ahead, two weeks ahead, a month ahead. So kind of uh, doing that, creating some tentpole content, and then I'm in charge of all the content and that's uh, free and behind the paywall as well. So that's great. Like, I mean, I think one of the things that um, from, you know, obviously, you know, we're, we're all biased here in this and that we all love sports and sports betting. Um, and we are, I think we look at it from a very, very different lens than, uh, than those that may have grown up in a different era or different generation when, you know, like you said, sports betting was a dirty word or dirty phrase. Um, you know, sports betting was only thought of as some back alley transaction. Uh, that happened, um, you know, and obviously, if you think of even from a legal perspective, like the Wire Act was conceived during a time when, you know, it was uh, very like uh, mob and 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 you know bad character driven, uh, which is what prompted a lot of these laws. But I think the great thing is is that we're starting to, as a country, put a lot of those kind of preconceived biases aside, and especially from a generational perspective, it feels like you know millennials, Gen Y, Gen Z. Uh, they want this. I mean, this is like, for them, they want this just as much as actually being able to watch the game. And so I think because of those attitude shifts and changes, you know, one, you're starting to, of course, see the legalization of it, uh, which started, you know, a little over two years ago with PASPA being overturned. 
But now you're starting to see like all sorts of uh, industries, you know, pop up from it. Uh, of course, the sports betting products themselves, but also, you know, the content uh, producers like Vsin, um, you know, uh, daily shows like on, on Sirius uh, and so forth. So, like, I'm just kind of curious. I, I know you've only been there for a little over a month, but what is what is the culture like and the company that just focuses on this versus one where you know it may be only like an hour a day, or or the or the mentality is, oh, you know, this is we're still not totally comfortable with this uh, versus you know, Vison is like we're all in on this. This is all we do. Yeah, it's a it's a great question. Uh, I think. For me, in a lot of ways, it has been a lot more rewarding um, just because, you know, it's it's always tough in a sense. And look, there are a lot of great places to work. But I think in sports, you know, ESPN is generally going to be viewed as kind of the top of the pyramid. Um, and so when when you're there, it's kind of tough to see is the grass greener? You're not you know, you're not exactly sure. And, and it really depends as well as as to what you're kind of looking to do. And I think. Um, you know, for me looking to do some other things outside of what I'd been doing for a bunch of years at ESPN, there was more of an opportunity, uh, at Vizen to do that. And I think just, you know, everyone from doing my research, uh, really enjoys the company, enjoys working there, feels like it is kind of that family environment, um, and is really rooting for, you know, each other, but, but also has that like you said, commonality uh, of the threat of sports betting. And I think that for everyone, yes, there's going to be people who make their entire living sports betting. But I think there's also a lot of people who just want to be able to, you know, once we're able to go into bars again, uh, (laughs) go into a bar and, you know, impress their friend with a statistic or, you know, something about how the Lakers were the title favorites or this crazy stat I saw on Twitter about, you know, home teams covering in baseball uh, there's just so much more information out there. And I think people can appreciate it, uh, more as well now in ways they, they couldn't, but I think that it's just been, you know, refreshing, I would say in, in the month, just to see kind of how they approach sports betting. And, and like you said, it's just, it is the thing as opposed to one of many things. Are you going to be uh, developing any APIs around your content that a company, so for example, like Zen Sports, we don't currently offer any of this kind of content directly in our app, um, but we'd love to. Um, and I think there should be some, there could be some really great synergies there, um, you know, on the development side of things. You know, for example, like if you had an API that we could tap into, then we could boom, you know, uh, automatically have this content integrated and uh, accessible to people like all in one place. Uh, so cross platform. Uh, so I'm just kind of curious if you guys have plans for that or how you envision the content piece interacting with, um, you know, sports betting platforms that are out there. So it's a, a, another good question that I don't have an answer for yet. Um, I think that we are looking at everything and, and currently, you know, I think it's not any secret that people are going, you know, going to these in for, uh, the you know for Sirius XM or to watch the shows they're not particularly going every single day for Beeson.com and to see the content so I think it you know relating to all of that and adding value for subscribers the Beeson Plus um, behind the paywall I, th- I think you know we're certainly open to looking at everything and uh, adding kind of tools and you know 
whether that's free things like parlay calculators or like mm-hmm. you said, other things that are a little more complex that we'd probably ask people to pay for. I think it's all, you know, it's all on the table. And I've always been one to, you know, look at something. And if it makes sense, you know, it makes sense. And if it doesn't, well, hey, you looked at it. All you, all you lost is a little time. Yeah, I mean, so definitely feature requests from our end. So we'll be a little, uh, we'll be a little selfish here for a second, because I mean, I can easily envision a world where we integrate content like that, um, you know, really great content at your fingertips. And, you know, the person can subscribe directly in the app to the paid content um, and then just be able to seamlessly view that, you know, uh, you know, directly, for example, like within our app. Uh, and I'm sure other, you know, uh, sports betting products would want uh, to do the same thing. Um, but it's yet another distribution channel uh, for you guys uh, to be able to, you know, gain subscriptions to something um, that, you know, give people an edge, give people more confidence. Uh, especially in, for example, like in a peer-to-peer world, like what we have, you know, if they're creating a bet, um, you know, uh, as a maker, you know, they may want that latest content without having to try to fumble around on Twitter or whatever uh, to figure it out. And so I think that could be super valuable, um, you know, and we, we, we've had uh, guests on the pod before uh, that have talked about the data piece of things and that real-time you know, access to information to give people either an edge or to reduce the edge of the house or the other person or whatever it might be. And I actually think this is one of the biggest opportunities in sports betting, other than the legalization piece, which, you know, we know needs to happen and it is already starting to happen. But just the, you know, the compared to say, for example, traditional like equity markets or stock markets where there's perfect information and, you know, everything is seamless in real time. That's not true in sports and sports betting. And so to have like one go-to place, like you guys could be the Bloomberg of uh, sports and sports betting information and sports data. I mean, that is a huge thing that I think sports betting products and customers would want to subscribe to. What are your thoughts on that? For sure. I think that, you know, there's been, it's, it's always funny because those, you know, I I think uh, in many, (laughs) many conversations with, uh, with higher ups at ESPN, you generally try and have some sort of example like that because it's obviously easier to peg it to something that they're aware of. So certainly, you know, the Bloomberg uh, of sports betting is, is something that's been brought up uh, at various times. And I think, yeah, different people are looking for different segments of the market. I think what's interesting to me is what the larger companies will uh, will do. So obviously, you know, ESPN has its own uh, gambling section, which is chalk and they have daily wager and a couple podcasts. But for these other companies, I think the question is going to be, do you start all of your own stuff or do you kind of outsource a lot of these to other companies? And I think that's where the, you know, Vizin and Action and others come in um, just because it will be somewhat cost prohibitive to come up once you start figuring, okay, we need to do a, you know, NFL betting and NBA betting and MLB betting and have a TV show and have a podcast and have editors and have them be credible. All of a sudden the price tag starts to add up quickly. So, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see how these different companies kind of attack those holes in the market, because obviously, you know, ESPN is going to have infinitely more brand recognition than a Vizin but obviously has, you know, less kind of expertise in the area uh, overall. And just, you know, it, from certainly from being there, it's, it's very difficult to get, um, 
or near impossible to get everyone on board with something like that. So you're going to have the random sports center anchor citing an offshore book, or you're going to have the, you know, other analysts citing a, a different book than is the sponsor and all of these different things. Uh, whereas it's a lot easier at a smaller company to say, Hey guys, you know, here, here's what we're working with. Here's what we need to make sure to use. Let's make sure to tweet this or not tweet that. Um, it's a lot easier, obviously, at that than at a giant company. Well, that brings up a really interesting point. I hadn't even thought of that. You actually could be the sports betting content arm of all these other media companies. So, I mean, in addition to you know being the uh, content provider for a lot of sports betting apps that um, you know want to provide content to their to their customers to create a more enjoyable, more uh, you know, basically kind of trustworthy experience and, and an experience where they feel more in control, you could actually be providing all of the sports betting content for ESPN. You know, so if they're quoting some random offshore sports book that, I don't know, might not be in line with the rest of them uh, from an odds perspective, or I don't know, uh, some new information came about, you know, with regards to an injury and how quickly that line moved and boom, you can feed that to them instantly, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, or as you mentioned, hosting podcasts or hosting, you know, radio shows or even segments on TV. I mean, you can give them best practices and f- be feeding them this information. You at, yeah, so that makes a lot of sense. You actually could be an extension of a lot of these other media companies, sports betting, uh, you know, content. Is that what you're basically saying? Yeah, I, I think that that's definitely an, an avenue that... Uh, that people will go down. And I think that, you know, ultimately I, I kind of joked with my, my former boss uh, at ESPN the, the first day that he had uh, taken over on the sports betting side, I said, you know, one thing to remember is just everyone is sleeping with everyone. And <laughs> that's basically, you know, right. basically the case where just everyone is involved. Uh, there are so few experts. I always like to say, if you're looking for a sports betting expert, you know, I, I compare it to being a, a beat writer for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And if you have a list, you might have a list of 25 people. And if you don't get your top, you know, one, two, three, you just go on to number four, five, six, you'll be fine. You know, there's a lot of talented people out there in the sports betting world, getting people who are credible, can write, uh, can be on TV, can be on radio and don't have, you know, aren't asking for some astronomical sum of money is a very, very small uh, number of people. And typically it's kind of the same list that keeps coming up over and over. So I think that's also what these companies will see is, you know, ultimately you want to have the best information out there because it is sports betting is very difficult and there are going to be a lot of people who lose. And so no matter how many Twitter followers your expert has going up there, if he's, you know, three and 10 people, all of a sudden are going to get sick of losing money. And so I think it's one thing to be kind of the bright and shiny new toy, uh, which sports betting is, but ultimately the companies that are going to last are the ones that have the best information overall and that people can kind of know, you know, Hey, I trust this information. I learned something and, you know, hopefully I'm winning long-term. So that gets into a really interesting point, which is I, I think the shift uh, is going to be in it and it has to be away from picks per se and more towards arming people with the most informative, up-to-date content so they can make the most intelligent choices on their own. Because, I, I mean, like you just said, like you may have somebody really super knowledgeable about, you know, 
sports and sports betting. And the reality is, is, you know, betting on sports isn't easy. It really should be first and foremost, a primary form of entertainment. We'll, we'll definitely get into the, the professional aspect here in a bit. Cause I had a really interesting conversation with David last week about this, but, but just going back to like what people's expectations should be. I think, I think picks are, are tough because, you know, I mean, it's right or wrong. Right. And, and if you have a bad streak for a week or week and a half, then the people that are new that came to you, you know, just at that moment when you went on a bad streak are going to push back and have a problem with that. But content, on the other hand, you know, content is, you know, it is what it is. Um, so first of all, it's factual. And it's it's not like, okay, well, I think this is going to happen. Oh, you could have some commentary around that, of course. But the bottom line is, is like, you're then giving people the tools with which to make informed choices themselves. That's the part to me that feels like the future of this. Because just, you know, spitting out a pick is, is I know some people are lazy and don't want to do the work themselves. But I just feel like that is is just a it, it's not going to be the future from a content perspective because um, you know a it's too difficult like you know to to be right like x amount you know x percent of time and then b I think that um, with the content that is available and out there for example that that Beeson has you know you're you're already you know providing everything up to date and giving people what they want to be able to make that choice you stick with that and then you give them those tools and they go, Oh, oh, I can make this decision myself. Now you put the control back in their hands. And so if they do happen to lose, well then, you know, that was their choice. Um, so in other words, giving them the tools with which to make decisions versus like spoon feeding and saying, Hey, make this pick. Right. It's the uh, teaching a man to fish. Right. Uh, essentially. I mean, it's, it's a great point. It's, I think that picks content will always be around and it will always be what, you know, leads the industry because, uh, like you said, you know, I, I would replace some people are lazy with most <laughs> and, uh, people want, you know, an easy winner, right? They want something that's simple. I can understand it. And then it is, like you said, kind of binary. Generally it either wins or it loses. Uh, and in certain cases pushes, uh, depending on the sport, but it just, people want that, you know, immediate satisfaction. It's why in a, you know, in a lot of uh, places, horse racing is so popular because it takes two minutes for a bet and then boom, I can have the next one, win or lose. So I think people are always going to be interested in that. Um, but I think it's important to try and and kind of what I did at, at ESPN uh, Chalk as well. Um, and Mr. Purdom would know, uh, would know very well because I was his editor for uh, the last, man, five or five or six years. Um, is, is try and kind of raise the discourse and and have more intelligent fans, I guess. So like we just, right. you know, for Vizen released our pro football betting guide today. Uh, you know, it's over 100 pages in a PDF. Like there's everything you could possibly want um, about those teams. But honestly, it could be three times that length if you really go into every single, you know, all right, now I'm getting into the, uh, you know, Minnesota Vikings, and here's what their offensive line looks like, and here's how they did it. Let's not talk the about the Vikings. I'm a Packers fan, okay? Oh, my goodness. All right. <laughs> oh, boy. We're going to have to end this podcast uh, sooner. Uh, are you a Vikings now. fan? My, my dad's from Minnesota, so yes, oh, I am, I am a diehard well, I'm from Vikings Wisconsin, fan. so. <laughs> uh, that, that makes more sense. There, were, there weren't a lot of, uh, I, I think you said, my, my endearing bucks or my uh, your hometown yeah. bucks. That yes. Not a lot of people are using that, that phrase generally. Um, <laughs> But no, I th there's so much 
you know, so much content you can hit on. I think, you know, football outsiders, Warren Sharp, they all do great jobs, but their season previews are gigantic as well. And I think, you know, everyone also has a limit uh, as to how much information they can, you know, take in uh, before it's kind of paralysis by analysis as well. So it's difficult hitting that sweet spot in terms of how much is really good credible, you know, information that I need and how much is too much. But I've always erred on the side of let's give you more information to make your decision. You know, you can sift through a bit and at least, you know, at worst, you've learned something as opposed to kind of the, you know, pre-legalization days and the 1-800-PICS lines, which is just, all right, take the reds, you know, (laughs) because I said you should take the reds and here's two reasons. So I think the more we can get to that, the better. But it's going to be, you know, it's going to be an interesting um, uphill climb to see because I do think there are a lot of people who are legitimately interested in learning about sports betting and seeing what it's like and doing it as kind of, like you said, entertainment, um, the entertainment value. And I think there are some people and a lot of people who are interested in just kind of, all right, I want to make some money, you know, akin to almost Robin Hood. Uh, and the the trading app kind of let me make some money now. This can't be that difficult. And certainly both with Robinhood and sports betting, it is that difficult. Right. There's a lot to unpack there. So a couple of things. So one is, I think what would be great is if people could actually maybe set their their knowledge level or their uh, level of content that they want. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they can, you know, you, and you could start with something basic like, you know, uh, novice intermediary or expert, right? And if you're an expert, you get all the content, you get all the bells and whistles, and it's probably more expensive and you pay more for it. Um, whereas if you're a novice, you just get the the highlights, the cliff note version of what to do. Um, but, but with the acknowledgement that, hey, you know, uh, you might be missing out on some information, but that's enough for some people because not everybody needs, you know, the, the, you know, 100 page PDF of it. They may just want the top three or five bullet points on something. Um, so I think that, you know, that is, uh, that is one thing there. And then, you know, I, I think that, you know, you look at like a product like Robinhood um, and, you know, I, I know, for example, like Zen Sports, you know, we, we, we try to like a little bit in some ways model that because I think, uh, you know, eventually, you know, sports betting does need to move towards uh, the concept of, of marketplace peer-to-peer driven models uh, simply from a standpoint of reducing house risk. Right. Because, I mean, if, if you're a sports book, you know, and this is something we talked about with David last week, if you're a sports book, there's, there's still risk you're taking on. Um, and, you know, you have to be wary of sharps. Uh, you have you're, you're, you're in some ways in the gambling business. And so um, and, and with no choice, because you kind of have to take the bets. Uh, I guess you could refuse them, but that doesn't happen too often. And so, yeah, I mean, I think what's really interesting, um, you know, is kind of that that house dynamic, um, you know, of the one to many versus the many to many, like a Robin Hood, you know, obviously on the on the stock trading side of things, and just providing that super dropped at simple ease of use. I mean, clearly, Robin Hood is worth now, you know, six or $7 billion. And this is the future of, uh, you know, of betting and, uh, you know, risk taking And I, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't care what anybody says, like, I believe, you know, day trading stock is it's no different than sports betting. And, you know, there's other than the fact that, you know, sports betting has had its past, um, you know, which we're coming out of. But the reality is, is there, there's risk in all of it. Right. 
And so I'm glad to see the legalization changing. I'm glad to see, you know, uh, you know, products come about that are more simplified and easier for people to understand um, than, for example, a sheet that you get <laughs> when you walk into a traditional brick and mortar sports book. Right. Um, so what do you think is like the future, you know, of tech when it comes to uh, sports betting? Uh, and feel, you know, feel free to talk about the content piece if you want as well, too. But just in general, like, you know, uh, you know, how does that future of technology look, um, you know, as millennials and Gen Z and Gen Y, they want they want Robinhood experiences. They don't want brick and mortar, fill out a piece of uh, paper with a pencil experiences. So I think that the, I mean, I think probably the largest thing that sports books overlooked with legalization was the importance of technology on their app. And that was primarily because they didn't probably either recognize or fully appreciate the importance of mobile to um, millennials and others, you know, we've certainly seen in, you know, these, this is certainly an outlier time, but in, you know, New Jersey and the New Jersey market, you know, upwards of 90% of the, of the sports bets on mobile devices. And right. so I think there was some, some of this thought that sports betting would be legalized, you know, Atlantic city would turn into Vegas 2.0. Everyone's going to be driving down, betting on sports, doing all this. And, you know, all of a sudden DraftKings and FanDuel and others came in with better technology than some of the brick and mortar sports books. And, you know, that's what people are going to use. It's, it's kind of similar to Uber and Lyft. And, you know, there's only so many apps um, that do similar things that people are going to have on their phone. And if they find one that works, they're probably going to go to that, especially for the general consumer that isn't that price sensitive. So if the bet is minus 110 versus minus 112 versus minus 115, that doesn't make too big of a difference uh, to the casual consumer. To the professional better, makes all the difference. But to the just guy who's betting 20 bucks on the Eagles every weekend, uh, it's not that big of a deal. So I think they underestimated that. Uh, I think that it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Wire Act and that is kind of the one of the big dominoes um, as to whether you can have, like you said, the you know a, a peer-to-peer market and potentially one that is you know nationwide as well, and then whether you could have that more betting you know across state lines uh, in terms of can you have a you know a, a William Hill line that is vastly different in Nevada than it is in Texas for a Cowboys game in a certain amount of years and kind of seeing what that potentially would look like and different groups betting into that. And then kind of how, again, it's always kind of a give and take between these, you know, these sports, um, between the odds makers, excuse me, and the professional sports bettors. And, you know, already there are different groups that now have, someone in New Jersey and someone in Indiana and someone in Mississippi to kind of pick off certain things. I think you'll also see that expand with some of these bigger markets. Um, and it'll be interesting to see kind of if there are certain states that are, you know, sharper states as opposed to other ones. And I, I think all of that will be interesting to see in the years to come. But the Wire Act is one of those big things that will, you know, shape a lot of how this goes. So three things there, and this is the order I want to take them in. Uh, I want to talk about, um, you know, what bookmakers are doing already. 
um, the uh, legality of some of the legal stuff with Wirect, and then thirdly, um, something unique that we found out in the last couple of weeks here. So firstly, I think, and I would love to get your opinion on this, aren't we kind of sorely mistaken if we don't think that bookmakers are already like in the back room and on the, you know, with their tools and, and, and how they're setting the odds already take into account liquidity from other states and locations, right? I mean, I think it's kind of naive to think that they aren't using other states to balance their books, or are they truly keeping separate systems like that don't talk to each other in any way, shape, or form? I mean, if you don't know, that's fine. But I just, I think it's hard to believe that they aren't like balancing out the liquidity on their own anyways, uh, irregardless of what, like if they can't like take, like if they need to have a separate app or separate, you know, whatever in each state, that's fine. But in terms of like the back office functionality of managing liquidity um, and uh, balancing books, like I, it just feels to me like there's no way that, that the back office isn't pooling all that together. So I, I don't know for every book, but I think it varies from book to book. And some do have separate pools by state. Some don't. It's just one line and they can see, okay, you know, clearly the Broncos are going to be bet a lot more heavily in Colorado than they are in Indiana. And they, they go from there. So it is something I'm sure they are looking at and they're certainly aware of. Uh, I do know that depending on different books, it's annoying for them to have to switch between states and get information. Um, again, that's mm-hmm. when they're giving it to uh, journalists. That's different than they're controlling their bottom line. But uh, it's something that, you know, is new for them. And I think that, you know, it's only been now a little over two years um, and less for, you know, most of those companies because they weren't in, you know, new states and uh, right, you know, in May 2018. So I think that it's something that will, you know, continue to evolve, but it's something they're, they're looking at, but far from have, you know, kind of mastered. Well, and what's interesting about what you just said is that, that none of that sounds like it's good for either the businesses, the sports books, or even the consumers, right? And so, I mean, this gets into really like the bigger point is, is like the Wire Act is so outdated, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, it was created in a time, whatever, 60, 70 years ago, like I said, when it was really just about unsavory characters you know, uh, an underground betting and all that kind of stuff. And with the legalization of it, you know, uh, at the state level with the Supreme Court overturning PASPA, I mean, the Wire Act is just, it it just feels like its days are numbered. Uh, I mean, how can you say like each state within a state can accept it, but now you can't accept it cross pooling, you know, between states, Um, you know, and and as long as it's legalized at the state level, I mean, because, because lotteries do it, right? You know, why, why are, why are, I mean, that, that pools money from multiple states together. I mean, why is sports, I mean, this isn't even a question for you so much as just a a rhetorical question of, you know, why is sports betting still being like singled out and discriminated against compared to all these other forms of betting and wagering and gaming? It really seems like deeply, deeply unfair to be just, you know, pretty honest about it. Yeah, I I think they, you know, Everything happens in time, and uh, you know, certainly uh, the political realm is is not one I'll I'll delve into here. But I think sure. that it's difficult. Uh, every state is different, certainly, and it's it's certainly difficult to get things uh, done in a timely fashion. And different states are seeing different responses based on as well, kind of how they pass the bills. And some of the early adopters for sports betting, you know, uh, 
early on were coming up short in the revenue because they didn't pass mobile friendly bills. And so, you know, they said, Hey, we had, you know, X amount of million dollars earmarked from sports betting. What is this, you know, $200,000 that's coming in here. And other people are saying, well, yes, because, you know, the sports books were closed and people aren't going there and everyone's betting on their phones, but they can't legally in that state. And so I I think those are some of the lessons that are being learned. And, um, you know, I, I like to say that daily fantasy sports was kind of the, you know, Trojan horse in certain ways um, for sports betting. And it was certainly a way to see some of what worked, some of what was good, what was bad, uh, the advertisements, uh, all of those things were kind of some of what, you know, potentially was to come. And I think in some ways, sports betting hasn't repeated those mistakes. In some ways it has, but I think that that, you know, at least provided a little of a blueprint for what to expect. And, you know, it'll, it'll certainly continue to evolve from here. Yeah. Now, what's interesting, so I was get, I was giving a little teaser there. So we got a, a legal opinion specifically for Zen Sports last week that looks like there's a safe harbor for the Wire Act that allows state to international. Um, mm. So like, for example, like right now, Zen Sports is uh, 100% focused uh, outside the U.S. while we're going through the process of, of getting licensed here. So it looks, to, uh, assuming we meet some uh, specific technical uh, certifications there. Um, the good news is it looks like we will be able to probably pool state to seaside, um, uh, but not state to state, of course, as we just talked about, because that violates the Wire Act. But state to international looks like it's probably a go, uh, assuming that the state uh, gaming commissions or control boards okay it. Um, but it looks like at the at the federal level, that's an exemption to Wire Act, which is, I think, really exciting uh, for, for us so that you know, for example, like a company like us, which is international, like we we're we're pretty hopeful that we'll be able to do that because we you know we pool bets in our marketplace from a peer to peer standpoint. So uh, being able to do that beyond just intra within the state is, I, I think, going to be pretty cool. So so hopefully we are able to um to do that. That should be uh, that should be pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. And I think, like you said, you kind of you know you you got to start with one thing and see see how it goes and. Uh, assuming right. that uh, lawmakers <laughs> come around, they'll uh, they'll be more to follow. Well, and it's the same thing on the crypto side, right? So, I mean, we do a heavy, heavy, heavy percentage of our sports betting and wagering is using cryptocurrencies uh, within within our app. Uh, and so, for example, like we just kicked off the licensing process last week with the state of Nevada uh, for getting uh, you know licensed and legalized there. And one of the things that you know we are hoping to get approval for is is uh, cryptocurrencies. Um, because that's obviously not been part of the ecosystem within sports betting or within Nevada or other places up to this point. But international, it's been like that for actually quite a, a while. Uh, we take it a step further and we have like all these like loyalty and rewards and stuff. But the, the, the bottom line is, is like, I think when you package all of the technology aspects together, you know, uh, mobile, mobile wagering, uh, iGaming, um, and then, you know, you, you go even a step further and you start talking about cryptocurrencies and a way to streamline the entire funding process. I mean, like, I think the technology is super, super like exciting, uh, aspect of it. And, uh, that's unfortunate if there were companies that got licensed that didn't take advantage of that. And it's also unfortunate if, you know, there weren't state governments that, um, took into account mobile. That's in my opinion, a big miss. Um, I think I think right now I think the only states that allow for mobile only are Virginia and Tennessee, 
Um, but that's good that at least even some states are even looking at just mobile, which is, I think, pretty cool also. Um, and then I don't know if you heard this, but, uh, but IAC, uh, so Barry Diller, uh, a couple of weeks ago, made a billion-dollar investment uh, basically into MGM because of their you know, uh, MGM online. Um, and so like, I think the investments are coming in fast and furious you know, into the iGaming world for a variety of reasons, you know, being the future of not just sports betting, but even gaming in general. Um, just kind of curious, like what your thoughts are of, of the future of, of tech with regards to, you know, betting and wagering, um, you know, on sports and or, you know, other traditional, you know, uh, games like poker and whatnot. I mean, I think it's good to see. I remember going to the Sloan Analytics Conference a couple of years ago. And uh, one of the things that Jeff Ma, um, who was also someone I worked with at ESPN, um, had said was just the frustration of the kind of lack of innovation in the sports betting space because it was just so difficult from an investment standpoint. Like you don't have a giant market. You're not saying it's Britain. You're saying, okay, well, in a couple of years, it's Nevada and maybe Delaware and New Jersey and this state and this, like, it's very difficult to pinpoint how big a market is. And therefore it's difficult to get people to go in and start kind of creating technology. So his point was, and I think that's been borne out some, is that kind of until sports betting was legalized, there wasn't going to be kind of the innovation um, that we're now starting to see on the technology side because the market just wasn't going to be big enough for a lot of people to uh, be interested and have it be kind of worth their time. And, you know, we've we've seen already some innovation coming, and I think there will be more, especially considering, you know, Illinois just, just went uh, – legal and Pennsylvania has, and there's so many giant states like Texas, California, Florida that haven't yet. So the market is only going to grow. And I think the you know importance as we see of mobile technology is only going to be that much more significant because that's how people are going to operate and do business. And if anything, um, you know, I, I think the last couple months in COVID-19 has shown that and just how important it is uh, for people as well to have that choice. Doesn't mean they're not necessarily, you know, in quote unquote normal times going to want to go to the sports book and watch NFL games on NFL Sunday, but it's good to have the opportunity to also stay at home and, you know, bet on their couch if that's the way that they, you know, that they would prefer to do it and having that option and having it, you know, ease the ease of access uh, is going to be very important going forward. Do you think um, more states will adopt the online only option uh, for those sports books that only want to do mobile? Um, and or uh, do you think states that require the one foot rule where you have to register in person um, at the brick and mortar, but then after that, you can use mobile as freely as you want? Do you think any of those uh, restrictions will start to um, be eased up, not just because of COVID, but I mean, certainly that's part of it, but just in general, as more appetite is, um, you know, uh, demanded on the mobile side of things? I think it greatly just depends on the state. Um, and obviously, if you're a casino, your goal is to get people into the casino. So, right. you know, they're going to want people to go and, and certainly sign up there. And then obviously, it's to their benefit to have a good sports book where people want to watch the games. Because again, then you're at the book, you're bet on the game, you just won 100 bucks on, you know, the Raiders, and now I'm going to go over to the craps table and try my luck. So I, I think that, you know, it will greatly vary state by state. Uh, again, with 
certain states that have fewer casinos, it makes more sense to, um, you know, have a little less of that. Whereas the states that have all of these different casinos, uh, I think they're going to be more likely to make people want to at least sign up, if not, you know, have those experiences um, for watching sports. Yeah. And so, yeah, I definitely would, I definitely would agree with that. Cause like, it's an entire like ecosystem, right? Yeah. I mean, if somebody wins a hundred dollars on the game, you know, they want to go play at the craft table or they just want, they want them to go spend it in the restaurant, um, you know, to, to refunnel that money back into the, the ecosystem, you know, it definitely uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I could still see, I, you know, I, I kind of go both ways on it. One, I totally agree with your point that you just brought up that that definitely makes a lot of sense. I, I do think the counter argument to it, though, is for those that uh, truly just want to like get started and up and let's just take Nevada, for example. So they have the one foot rule where you have to register in person, but then you can use the mobile app anywhere outside of that without having to go in person ever again. I do think the one benefit of allowing even online registration uh, without in-person registration is that you uh, may get customers that you may not otherwise get. And I think those that want to go to the casino anyways will still do so uh, for those that are, you know, uh, you know, interested in going to see a show or going to play blackjack or play the slots. Um, I, I mean, it's definitely uh, good uh, that, it, you know, somebody is there in person if they're doing it because you can definitely sell them on other things. I do so I do, though, see a certain segment of the population that just goes, hey, eh, I'm not going to bother driving if I have to. If I have to drive somewhere to go register, I'm just not going to do it at all. Um, whereas if you allow them to register, then it's different. And I think the one other piece of that is actually around all the the KYC and security issues. I think that's actually a big piece of it too. Um, you know, where, you know, like for example, again, in Nevada where, you know, they want people to register in person so that you show your ID, so they know you're of legal age. Um, previously, the technology around those verification methods were not very good. Um, now, however, those verification methods are outstanding. Like, for example, like we do full KYC for Zen Sports within our app and it, you know, you, you upload photos, it does full facial recognition, um, it does phone location to make sure you're where you're supposed to be. Uh, KYC verifies your birth date, your nationality, it does all those things um, that don't actually require a person. Whereas like five, seven years ago, the technology for doing those kinds of things were just, you know, they just weren't very good. Um, so I actually, yeah, I definitely agree with your standpoint that, you know, getting them into the physical location is, is helpful to the business. Um, but I do also think that could be offset with people that may not otherwise do that, who are now able to, if they can register online, I don't know. So maybe there's a, maybe a happy medium where they can maybe incentivize them to come in, you know, with comps and other rewards, uh, to come in and experience some things, um, that way. Uh, but I mean, you know, yeah, I think it's, see. I mean, one of my favorite tweets every month is, uh, is from, uh, from David Purdom and it's always the, you know, how much Nevada sports books win on all these different things. And so, you know, in July, for example, uh, sports, you know, was $6.3 million, uh, roulette was 21.7 blackjack, 54 penny slots, 240, right. 242. Right. So, you know, sports is just a low margin, you know, sports betting, a low margin business for them, they're going to win casinos are going to win money by you being in the casino, betting right. on sports, and then most likely losing on those other card and table games. So it's in their best interest in a lot of ways to, you know, to get those customers in. But like you yep. said, I do think there are some that, you know, would don't necessarily care about the other 
uh, games. They are just interested in betting on sports and they're probably more likely to just sign up if they don't have to go to a casino. Yeah, no, that, that makes, that makes total sense. Uh, okay. Last question before I let you go, I know we're coming up on an hour here. So I know that, uh, Vison was uh, originally founded by, you know, the Musburger family, um, which is really cool. Like he is, you know, a legend uh, from a broadcaster perspective and, and, uh, you know, a long time, long time, you know, sports fan. So do, is he still currently involved? Is the Musburger family still pretty involved in things? Um, and like, uh, you know, how does, how, how is, um, how's he felt about the, uh, start and transformation of the company? And I'm just kind of curious what his, you know, vision is. I know you've only been there for a little over a month, but just curious if you have any insight of that. Cause you know, I do think it's pretty fascinating, you know, uh, his evolution, uh, from the announcing world over into, you know, uh, you know, starting a, a sports betting content company like Vison. Yeah, I mean, I can't uh, certainly speak for him. I've I've uh, actually interviewed him when I was doing a piece for ESPN the magazine about the Westgate Super Contest, um, mm-hmm. but haven't actually met him out there. Um, he's still involved in the My Guys in the Desert um, that is on five days a week. Uh, actually, just starting. Uh, again today on uh, Monday, August 31st, uh, still calling games for the Raiders and his nephew, uh, Brian Musburger is the CEO. So he's the one I've dealt with a lot more uh, on that. And I, you know, I think in general, um, they're just looking to build a a place where kind of sports betting uh, can be seen in less of that, you know, light previously that it was and just a place where it's good information um, that people get and kind of an unmatched stable of experts, I guess, is the easiest way to put it, where you kind of, you know what you're getting and in the different programs, like, like we were saying earlier, there's different, uh, programming for people of different abilities and, uh, and, and sports betting knowledge levels as well. I think that's what's difficult with a lot of larger media companies is that you might have half an hour a day, an hour a day, uh, and you have so many sports to gain. If you have all these different shows and one's kind of more beginner level, one's intermediate, one's an advanced, one's kind of a, you know, drive-in commuting show, there's so many different ways you can get your sports betting information, different topics you can talk about. So I think they're just looking to expand that. And, uh, you know, there's, especially in today's world, and as we've seen the last couple of months, so many uh, topics inside and outside of sports betting and, and the way that sports betting hits so many different ones, whether that's, you know, the MLB trade deadline and World Series odds shifting or Leonard Fournette getting cut by the Jaguars and how that impacts the week one line or are they a better team without him? Uh, there's just so many different things uh, that sports betting touches on as well as just, you know, who should you bet on tonight in uh, the MLB games? So I think just right. looking to expand that and uh you know raise the discourse a bit and go from there but i think uh you know the sports betting world is in good shape it's i think it's a good place to be and you know hopefully it only goes up from here yeah uh, you should have made it part of your uh uh interview requirement that you get to get to meet with brent <laughs> that's true well you know I, I know he'll be out there i'm sure i'll uh i'm sure i'll get to meet with him some oh, but yeah, uh, he's right. still a busy yep. man he's he's not a you know, not, not retired or anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You're going to be in Vegas. So you definitely have to, uh, you guys all have to do a company, company lunch, but yeah, well, but now the Raiders are in Vegas. So that makes it probably yeah. even easier for, for him to be able to, um, 
to hang out and, and see things. So, uh, well, this was this was awesome, Ben. Um, really, really appreciate your time. Uh, for uh, those of you that want to check it out, Vsin is the company, V-S-I-N, and it's Vsin, V-S-I-N dot com is where you can go. Uh, really appreciate the time, Ben. Uh, please have a safe safe trip uh, driving cross country, and uh, we will have to meet up in Vegas sometime. Sounds good. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Cool. Thanks so much. Have a great day. 